I tell you what, that's a southern way of I'm about to explain something. Um, it may look like chaos, utter chaos at times, but it's a chaos that brings me incredible joy. Seeing, you know, it may look like an organized mess or a mess unorganized. I don't know how you want to explain it. But to see little ones running around and enjoy being in church among those that love them, among those who will be faithful to tell them about Jesus, about teaching them what it means to follow Jesus and how to apply that to their life, that is a great joy and a great privilege to be considered that we would be faithful Um and I don't do that as boasting about our status. Um, I know God can always, there's plenty of more pew space to fill. Um, but I, I recognize that there are churches that are hurting. And one of the reasons they're hurting is they don't hear those voices. They don't see that chaos. They don't get to experience that joy of taking the message of the gospel and explaining it to a child in a way that a child can understand. And so that is a great joy that we have. So let us never, ever take that for granted. Today, we get to experience a message looking at faith and why a sustained, secure, firm faith in Jesus is worth everything, why it makes all the difference and why faith in Jesus is the calling of our life, why we speak so much about this word faith. And as we look at this word faith, we're going to find that its definition If we were to put in a tidy little statement, it's hard to encompass it. But the Bible doesn't just give us a statement. It gives us a picture, an ever-moving, woven tapestry for us to see how faith is defined and how faith is described. And so today I'm going to invite you to turn in your copy of the Word of God to uh, the book of Hebrews, uh, one of the most famous passages in the book of hebrews hebrews chapter 11 it has been titled before uh, as some would would declare it to be made known as the hall of fame for faith uh, the all-stars if you will of the old testament uh, being made known so we're going to be in hebrews chapter 11 and today because hebrews chapter 11 it's a, it's a pretty lengthy text we're going to just look at the first seven verses and and see how they give us this definition, this picture moving uh, of faith. So would you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word, recognizing that it is He who spoke it, He who has sustained it, He who has inspired it, He who makes it inerrant, infallible, and illuminates our soul. The first seven verses of Hebrews 11, this is the Word of the Lord. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For by it, our ancestors won God's approval. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. By faith, Enoch was taken away and so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. 
For before He was taken away, He was approved as one who pleased God. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God since the one who draws near to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Let us pray. Lord God, today we have just read from your word. I pray that we would not... uh, we would not take it for granted. We would not take it as um, as something that would be less than serious. I, I pray that we would understand that, that you have given it to us as a gift, as a kindness, a kindness that is meant to awaken faith in our lives, a kindness that is meant to bring us to repentance, a kindness that is meant to point us to Jesus, a kindness that shows us you are God, you are good, and you bring grace to those in need. You have a glorious plan, and you do this through the gospel. So Lord, today, as we have your word, may we hear it with open ears. May we see it with focused eyes. May our hearts be pierced by it and affected deeply. May our souls and our lives never be the same. Not because we went to church, but because we drew near to Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're looking at this message of faith. What does faith mean? What does it look like? And how do we find it? So one of the things that we like to do and, and feel like it is the direction that any church should do when it comes to the Bible is what does the Bible say about this subject? What does the Bible speak? Because the Bible is God's authority given to us, spoken to us, made known to us so that we would recognize the power that is in Him. We would recognize the person that He is. We would recognize why He has created these different facets of our life. Why He calls for the practice of faith, but also the trust of faith. That's why we go to see what the Bible says and we open it up. And then we begin looking to see what it means and how it applies. And when we say what it means, I need to be cautious about that. There are many times we can do this. And and honestly, we, we have to be very careful because it can bring us to a faulty place in our life, in our theology, in our following Jesus. We need to see what the Bible says about what it means. We need to be specifically studying the Bible to see what it is so that we don't find ourselves and say, well, I feel it means this. I feel it means that. Now, let me ask you this. If you go to chemistry class, do you have to use your feelings to to justify your answers? Would it be recommended to use your feelings to justify the answers when it comes to chemistry? What about math? What if you had a doctor says, oh, I don't want to look at any of the evidence. I feel this is how you feel. No, 
That would be absurd. We would say, what does this mean? Show me what this means. And that's what we need to be with the Bible. We don't want to treat it like it's some other subject that is not bound by the rules of, of what is true and what is not based on feelings. You may not like how it makes you feel when it presents the truth, but it is there. Then we can see when we rightly find what it means, we can see how it applies in the circumstances of our life. But the question is always begged, will I trust what God is saying? And the question today uh, on this top subject is, what does the Scripture reveal on this elevated subject of faith? I mean, the Bible speaks a lot about faith throughout its pages, not just Hebrews 11. We see it even in the, in the beginning walk with, with Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 12, we see people placing their belief and trust and dedicating their lives to the Lord. So what does it say? Well, if we're going to put a blanket statement on it, on what, how elevated and important faith is, I want to put it this way. Faith, more than anything, is what God is looking for to characterize the lives of His people. More than anything else, faith is it. Now that may be a big deal to some people. It might kind of rock the boat a little bit. God is looking for faith more than he's looking for a checklist. God is looking for faith more than he's looking for a checkbook. God is looking for faith to characterize life. Because if the faith is there, all the other practices of life begin to shape. If faith is there, there's a want to get to know God through his word. If faith is there, there's a want to spend time in prayer. If the faith is there, there's a desire to worship. If there's faith that's there, it's a desire to serve. If there's faith that's there, it's desire to be connected with the community. But if faith is not, then we're missing the point of what God is looking for to characterize the lives of His people. So first of all, let's look at a definition of faith. Let's, let's see what this definition, this description could be. Now, whenever you're looking for a definition, where's the natural place to go? Google, right. Um, No, you want to look at a dictionary. Now, the dictionary, Google will pull up a dictionary, but uh, you want to go to a dictionary. How does it spell it out? Uh, In one word, it spells it out as loyalty, allegiance to duty or person, fidelity to one's promises. So whenever a couple commits themselves to their vows, they're committing themselves to loyalty and fidelity in faith, that the other person is committing the same. Two, a sincerity of intentions. I'm very sincere about what I intend. The problem with this one, it doesn't always, if you have good intentions, it doesn't always lead to good actions. So this is a faith that's very flimsy. Three, a belief in trust and loyalty to God. A belief in the traditional doctrines of religion. A firm belief in something for which there is no proof. Now, that can't be it. That can't be it. Four, complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Five, something that is believed, especially with strong conviction. Six, the faith, a system of religious beliefs. All right, so this is what a dictionary spells it out. And these are trying to summarize them in little clauses, little phrases, little sentences. But they just don't capture it well. What we need is a picture. And thankfully, the Bible not only just gives us words, it gives us a beautiful tapestry woven, as I've said before, and maybe that imagery is a little played by now. But 
Here's what we see about faith. Biblical true faith is different than how the world may see it or how the world may define it. Sometimes people see the idea of faith as some kind of blind optimism. I mean, obviously the Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight, right? So it's taping a leap of faith, a a leap in the dark, eyes closed, stepping forward. The imagery of Indiana Jones, the you know cliff right there, taking the leap of faith is just popping in my head and it's hard for me to let that escape. But this is not true biblical faith. True biblical faith is not some manufactured hope-so feeling. Well, if I, I just really hope it turns out right, but it might not. Who knows? That's not what it is. That's not something that's convictional or confident. True faith is not... Wishful thinking. To where if we say, well, if my faith is big enough, my wish will come true. If my faith is large enough, God is required or obligated to answer as I design. No, no, that's that's definitely a misinterpretation of faith. It's something that I hear preached on the TV a lot. But that's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is not just intellectual acknowledgement of a doctrine either. It's not where we properly nodded our heads or checked a box on a little piece of paper and all of a sudden we're good with Jesus. By the way, you, you don't earn a golden ticket by walking a church aisle. That's not how that works. That's not how any of that works. You can't just nod your head at the right place And it's certainly, certainly not believing in spite of evidence. You know what they call that? Superstition. Superstition, that's what that is. And I know you would say you're not superstitious. Just a little stitious, right? Here's what true biblical faith is. True biblical faith is confident, confident, confident obedience following God's word in spite of circumstances and consequences. If we're going to look at the imagery that's given here, we're going to see that true biblical faith, the picture of it is a confident obedience to what God has said in spite of the circumstances and the consequences. You see, the faith that the Bible speaks of, it it operates quite simply. Very simple, actually. God speaks. We hear His Word. We trust His Word. And we act on it, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the consequences are. Because God said it. God spoke it. God's the one I trust. God's the one I'm following. The consequences and the circumstances are not elevated. The faith is elevated. The Lord is elevated. You see, the circumstances may be impossible to us. We may think this is insurmountable. The consequences might be frightening. They may be unknown. We may not know what will happen if I look behind door number three. What is there? 
But we obey God's Word just the same. This is the act of faith. This is the definition. To place our trust in God in a way that has confident obedience to what He says and follows. We are to obey God's Word just the same and to believe Him to do what is right and what's best. That's the frightening part. Sometimes our belief that God would do what's right and best, that's the difficult part to get over. Because we will say and we will sing about, oh, I trust the Lord. I surrender almost. I surrender some. A little to Jesus. He might be too. I surrender few. True faith says, no, God, you've said it. I must obey and follow and learn. You see, there are those in the world that define faith as illogical belief in the occurrence of the impossible. What the world does fail to realize, though, is that faith is only as good as its object. And the object of our faith is God. See, we don't have faith in faith. That my faith is not in my, my desire, or my faith is not in my willpower, or my faith is not in, in my obedience. My faith is in God, which leads to these things. And it also corrects these things when they're out of shape. And believe me, they get out of shape a lot in my own life. But faith is not some feeling that we're meant to manufacture or produce. It's a total response to what God is revealing in His words. In fact, as we look in His words, we see that there are three words that summarize Hebrews 11, 1 through 3 to show us what true biblical faith is, is built upon. It is why it exists. Uh, some of your versions might say substance or evidence or witness or commended. Uh, we're looking at another, other words that in English, the reality, the proof, the approval. The word translated, uh, proof, reality. It really means something that stand, we stand under and, and supports us. You see, faith to a Christian is what foundation is to a house. It's what everything is built on. It's what gives it confidence. I mean, if you went to a house and you were looking at it and, and, and man, it looked awesome on the outside you walked in the living room it's got the hardwood floors Uh, you know there's no popcorn ceilings i know some people like popcorn ceilings but there's just they're gone it's 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 vaulted it's beautiful there's like this awesome chandelier that's manly enough for you men and and elegant enough for women uh you know it's all of these things the kitchen is everything you'd want. You can, and, and you can say, I could see hosting a lot of people here if you're the extrovert, entertaining person. Or you could say, I could see being here when no one's around and enjoy it if you're the introverted person. But then you go down to the basement. And it's just decaying and crumbling. And there's chemicals in there that don't need to be near anything. It, it's It's a terrible place. Are you ready to invest and buy right this day? Sign your dotted line? No, because everything built on top is worthless. 
And here's the aspect of how that applies. Many people look on the outward facade of the Christian life and they'll see all these outward ornate appearances. But if the faith is not the foundation, it's all on something that's crumbling. And the Bible says that we have a substance, a foundation literally to give us confidence and assurance. Some might say that faith is the confidence of things hoped for. And when a, with a believer, this faith is God's way of giving him that confidence. Another word it uses here, when you're looking, it says that faith is not only the reality of what is hoped for, it is the proof of what is not seen. It, the proof, this evidence, it means that f- this faith that we have in Jesus is not meant to be how could you believe that? It's meant to be, how could you not? How could you not trust what God has made known? That it places an inward conviction on us that says we can trust what God has done, what God has promised, who God is, what God will accomplish, what He will perform based on the evidence that is there. That's why it says in, in verse 3, it says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was made from the things that are not visible. In other words, regardless of how you're, you lean in the creationistic philosophy, we must come to a place where we understand it only exists because God said so. It only exists because God spoke it so. And He sustains it by His powerful Word. Okay, let's move on. We see that with faith, there are some certainties that we are given. Some certainties. First it says, the certainty of what is not seen what is hoped for and what is not seen here's the thing faith does for us faith helps us understand that in christ we have what we can hope for and that it is sure and fixed what are some of the things that you hope for in christ if you were to try to write them down what would they be like i hope my relationship with jesus is going to bring this Some of the things that Christians as a whole have longed for, that that their faith has said, I can trust this, I have the reality of what I've hoped for, is they hope that Christ is going to return, just as the Bible says in Titus 2-3. They hope that they will attain the resurrection, just as 1 Peter 1-3 says. They hope that they will have the glorification of heaven, just as 1 John 3-2 says. And they hope and believe that they will reign with Him just as 2 Timothy 2 and Revelation 22, 5 says. So what the Bible is saying about, about faith is that it is giving us the proof of what we as a community of faith hope for. Having faith is what is bringing us to this place where we understand this is what God is going to give as a future hope to all who believe. But not only that, faith helps us to understand that we are now able to see things from a kingdom mind. 
that are looking around us, we are to see that we're a part of something bigger than just what this world affords. Think of the imagery for those that remember in the book of Genesis, Jacob. When Jacob ran away from home, and that's what it was, it was running away from home, he was sent with a blessing, but he was leaving because he was scared. He comes to this place that was called Luz. And he falls asleep and he uses a rock for a pillow. But in the middle of his sleep, he sees that stairway that is connecting between earth and heaven with the angels ascending and descending. And when he woke, he realized that that this was not just some weird, like, what did I eat dream? But this is the reality of who God is. A God that his father had spoken of, but he himself really did not personally know. But he, he began to connect the dots that faith was awakening him that there is a bigger picture at play beyond what we can normally see. You see, just like the heart is the organ that pumps blood throughout our body, faith is the organ that gives us the eyes to see that we're a part of something bigger. That we're involved in something bigger by God's plan. The writer of Hebrews makes it clear that, that faith is a very practical thing in spite of what unbelievers see, say. Because faith, it enables us to, first of all, understand what God does. Not everything, but the few things that He's there, it helps us understand what God is doing. It enables us to see what others cannot. And as a result, faith enables us to do what other people cannot do. Other people can do good. But only the believer can do good to the glory of God. Other people can help in other people's time of need. But only the believer can share the message of God's Word that will save a soul. Faith enables to do what others others cannot do. And as we look through some of this list, you're going to see some of these people that did ridiculous things in their time that probably people of the world laughed at, they snickered at. They thought, what is this about? And yet, God says they are my witnesses. God says these are the ones who I have stamped approval and and said, because of their act of faith and trust in me, I consider them mine. The great thing is we look at these heroes. The first three, we, we only know a little bit of the story. But when we go a little bit further into it, you'll see that, man, all these people were just like us. That's the strangest thing. You know, we sometimes have this area where we highlight and elevate heroes because, well, they're heroes. They do something great, some feats of strength, some mighty accomplishment, some great conquest, and we elevate them. But here we'll see that these heroes of the faith they were people that were flawed and frail just like us, but they were growing and walking with the Lord. They were growing and walking with Him. So how do they do that? How do they do that? Well, the Bible gives us a definition of faith. It says it is the reality of things hoped for, the proof, the proof of those things that are not seen. It gives us that definition. But if we were to leave it at that, we still might be scratching our head and saying, I'm a little bit confused. How can it be something that I'm hoping for? 
How can it be something I can't see? I gotta have something a little clearer than that. I gotta have something a little more connected than that. And this is where it goes beyond just giving a definition. It gives us a depiction. First of all, it tells us that faith, faith is what leads to worship. That the practice and depiction of faith is one that worships. And it gives us the depiction first of Abel, this first witness mentioned here, this first one who had won approval by God's design and God's sight for his faith. Is that a faith that worships? You see the story of Abel in Genesis 4, 1 through 10. And the Bible says here, he was righteous because of his faith. He wasn't righteous because of any works. He was righteous because of his faith. But he was also righteous because his faith was evidenced in his obedience to God. It says, God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks to his faith that, that the righteousness and the gift that was spoken of, that was lived out by Abel, even Jesus mentioned Abel's righteousness. Because the faith that Abel had recognized who God was as righteous, as the giver of righteousness, and he worshiped God as so. God in His plan had given Adam and Eve the, the, the layout of what it mean to walk with Him even though they weren't in the garden anymore. What it meant to have a right relationship with Him. And they passed that on to their first two children, Cain and Abel. And we see Abel is listed. But you know what you see about Cain? It just says that Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain did. Now if we know the rest of the story, we see that Cain took what his parents passed down to him, but he took it as purely just religion and not as a relationship with the righteous God who is inviting him to walk with him in righteousness. That is why Cain's offering was turned away. Abel presented a, a, a costly sacrifice of an animal's life, an innocent animal's life, to honor his God. A costly sacrifice that was not only costly of that, that animal's life, but costly to him personal. As a shepherd, once an animal is dead, you can't replace that animal. That animal's gone. But Abel considered even a loss of something to die was worthy of God's worship. Cain, on the other hand, was religious, but he wasn't righteous. He went through the motions. He grew some fruit and vegetables and said, here, there you go. But he would not do it in faith. You see, the depiction of faith is that there's a difference in the believer because their faith leads them to worship the Lord as the righteous God. Secondly, the depiction is the faith that walks. It gives us the imagery of Enoch. Now, Enoch is a mysterious character in the Bible. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken away and he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. The Bible puts it in the book of Genesis, chapter 5. It says, Enoch walked with God and then was no more, for God took him. That's all it says. It says, Enoch walked with God. 
So what does this tell us about faith? It says that faith is not only something that worships God and recognizes Him as holy and righteous, but it recognizes that this this life with God is a walk. It's a relationship. It's it's something where we're learning from Him and walking side by side with Him. And that we learn that our faith grows as we fellowship with God. You see, we must have in our life a desire to please a righteous God. That's the act of worship. But we also must have the diligence to seek Him. The diligence to walk with Him. The diligence to get to know Him. And to live before Him. You know what's worthy of note in this? We can see the mystery of Enoch and this, this character in the book of, the, uh, book of Genesis who walked with God and then was no more. But you know whose Enoch's story proceeds? Noah's. Enoch did this in one of the most wicked times in earth's history. If we look at it, I would say it is the most wicked time in all of earth's history because the Bible says that every intent of man's heart was evil all the time. That's a bad place. That is not a place we'd ever want to be. We sometimes say, oh man, it's a struggle to walk with God. You know, the temptations, man, they're out there. The struggle is real. It is. But it's still possible to walk faithfully with the Lord. It's still possible. Yeah, you will battle and and go through obstacles and pain and turmoils. But if anything, there's a testimony from Enoch that in a generation that was evil and wicked and and agonizing to the heart of God, there was someone who was still able to walk with Him. And because of Jesus, who lives within us through the Holy Spirit, how much more so we as believers can walk with God this day in a way that is faithful. Faith is not only given the depiction of something that worship, it also walks. It also works. When you give the imagery of Noah in verse 7, it says, By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, he built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. What does this mean about faith? What is the depiction that is leading to us? Well, first of all, it worships God as holy and recognizes righteousness. Secondly, it walks with God in a relationship, but also it reveres God's commands in a way that leads to obedience. It doesn't say, oh yeah, God, you're holy. I get, I dig that part. You're righteous. You're mighty. There's no one like you. And, and I enjoy this whole walking and receiving the benefits of fellowship with you. But that whole warning and obedience thing, eh, I don't know about that. That is not where faith is. Faith says, I recognize those first two and it leads me with a desire and diligence to pursue this next part of working. The imagery given about Noah is that his, his life was his mind was warned and, and listened to God. I don't know if it was an audible voice. I don't know if it was God's still small voice. But somewhere, Noah is warned. And he doesn't take that warning for granted. He didn't say, ah, I'm just, I'm just hearing things. Ah, you know, that's not doable. He listens to God. Just as when we hear the words warning us, we must listen. His heart was moved with the fear of the Lord. He recognized that God is good and righteous and He's doing this out of His love and His grace towards Him. So His heart is moved with the fear of the Lord that I'm going to respect God's gift in this time to me. 
His will acted on the word that the Lord revealed and He built this ark according to the plans that God had. Now, I don't know if it looks exactly like the one in Kentucky or not. I don't know. I don't know that. But I do know that Noah built the boat. That's why we're still here today. He acted on what the word of the Lord revealed. And not only that, but his faith. His faith not only saved lives, but his faith influenced his whole immediate family. There were eight people on the ark. Not just Noah and a bunch of animals. Not just Noah and his wife. Noah, his wife, his three sons, and his three daughter-in-laws. All on the ship. Noah's faith influenced them. Or else they would have been just like the rest of the world. Splish splash, not taking a bath. That's where they would have been. His faith influenced his whole family. But here's the, the part that we sometimes see troubling when we look at it. His faith also condemned those around him. Because his faith revealed what unbelief looks like. When you stand someone of true biblical faith, we're not trying to compare notes, but it definitely lets you know, well, if that's what true biblical faith is, I can definitely see what it's not. I can definitely see what it's not. And those in that lost generation, they were condemned. They saw the evidence of Noah building this boat. Looking at the timeline, I mean, if you take a literal timeline of the book of Genesis, it took them a hundred years to build this. A hundred years! It wasn't like overnight. It wasn't like that, that offshoot sequel of Bruce Almighty where, you know, everybody just brings things and like a magic uh, dolly drops down yellow wood or something. That's not it. But the faith works and it works faithfully. And why does it do that? Because the verse 6 says, without faith it is impossible to please God. This is the crux of the matter. This is the, the, the moment that needs to catch us all. It, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Two incredible truths here. First, without faith, it is impossible to be commended by God. It is impossible to be commended by God. In other words, to be counted as a faithful witness, to be counted as one approved, to be counted as credited with righteousness, to be counted as one who walks with God, to be credited as one who obeys and, and works with God. It's impossible without faith. While works of external righteousness and general morality, it may give us commendations before men, we could have walls with plaques and certificates and all kinds of things. These things are not sufficient to elevate us and commend us before God as Him saying, yes, you are my child. You know me as Lord. Humanitarianism, religiosity, morality, following all these scrupulous, strained out personal ethical codes, they at the end of the day cannot win God's approval on the day of judgment. That's the warning. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. With faith, without faith, we are without God. For God is only apprehended by faith. Without faith, we are without hope. For a true hope can only spring out of a true faith. Without faith, we are without Christ and consequently without a Savior. And it would be infinitely better to be without eyes, without hearing, without wealth, 
without bread, without garments, without a home, rather than to be without the faith that brings everything the soul requires. Without faith, we are a spiritually naked, poor, miserable, lost, condemned, and without hope of escape. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. There is no divine approval for those who do not believe in the Lord in true faith. There's not. That's why I said there is no checklist that you go through. There is no walking an aisle. It it all comes down to your faith in the Lord. The repentance and trusting the gospel. But here's the other good news. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But with, with faith, it is impossible to be condemned. With faith in God, it is impossible to be condemned. This is the glory that is found in the gospel. That the righteousness of God is demonstrated in Christ fully. That the penalty of sin is paid for by the sufficiency of Jesus. That the personal responsibility is not our own work willing it up to to fill out the checklist, but it's God saying, I have done the work, now come to me in true faith. This is the beauty of the gospel, that what He gives, He never ever takes away. We are never ever condemned. And when we read verses like, Romans 8, 38-39, we can read them with confidence. Romans 8, 38-39 says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what are we to do? What are we to do? What, are, what is the, this declaring for us? If we're going to wrap this all up in, a, in, a, in a hopefully a neat little bow. First, our primary concern that's revealed to us, we must come to a place where we accept the existence of God by faith. We come to the place of, of, of showing and, and knowing that we have a rational reason to believe in Him. All our convictions will be built on Him. They're based on this commitment. Second, we are to accept the promises of God by faith. Not only His existence, His reality, but because He exists, everything He has said, everything that He has done, everything that He will perform, everything that He has accomplished, it all means I draw it all. All of it is to take root in my life. Every single ounce of it. Because I understand that God is not to reward me with my frivolous ideas of reward. But just as it says in verse 6, He rewards those who seek Him. Why? Because all the promises of God are now made available to you. All of them. That is such a glorious truth. Today I don't know where you are. Maybe you're in the room and Maybe you're just honestly just confused by the whole thing. That's okay. I understand where that's what that is and what that's like. And maybe God is leading you to say, all right, you need to dig a little deeper and, and see where this is going, where, what this is leading to about the knowledge of God, about ex- learning about who He is and what He has done and following Him in faith. That may be exactly where you are. 
Today, it may be that God has opened your eyes and said, I have wakened that faith organ and said, I have made you see that you need me. You need to come to a place of faith in me and trust in my gift to you. And today may be the day of your salvation. But for all of us disciples, there's always the question, how can my faith grow? Because obviously all of us need to grow in our faith. But I want to let you know, it is not about the size of your faith. Jesus said this faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. No, it's not about the size of your faith. It's about the source of your faith. What you need to do is is grow closer to the one who secures and sustains your faith, Christ Jesus. You need to grow with Him. And the best way to grow in faith is to grow among the faithful. To find yourself planted near those who have a like mind and heart that want to desire and diligence to follow the Lord. Who want to worship Him, who want to walk with Him, who want to work for Him, and who want to live boldly. And for us, just as we're going to see as we study later on in these characters that are, that are in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to see that if we're going to see faith grow in our life, first of all, we need to listen to how God is speaking in His Word. We need to have ourselves stirred in, in the ways that God is leading. We need to obey the Lord. And we need to be those who carry the badge, who carry the status of witness, approved of God, commendated, commended. We need to carry that well. May it be said of us, they were men and women of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, today as we come to a close, I I just thank you for who you are. And I pray that you would use this message as only you can. I don't know what way you may move men and women that are here today, but I pray that you would uh, work as only your spirit can. We thank you for being a giver of great grace. And today, we pray that when we respond, we would do so as you lead. From the greatest to the least, from the oldest to the youngest, whoever may need to follow in faith their next step, move them, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.